Hey guys, welcome back to Crafting Fitness. Today I tackle a listener Q&A. The question revolved around how to develop dynamic skills or movements. Most specifically, toes-to-bar, chest-to-bar pull-ups, muscle-ups, handstand push-ups, and handstand walking. Being able to do all of these movements is required in order to compete in the sport of CrossFit. So, how do you go about helping people develop them? Some of the pieces I covered are the following. Potential for development, strict strength requirements, skill development, and finally, programming considerations. If you enjoy this episode, please like and share with others as it helps us build our reach and be able to share more great content with the public. All right, I'm back with listener Q&A, the second question. So this question, even though I mentioned on the first one, I'll mention it again. This question is the following. I think one of the best and perhaps easiest ways for an athlete to improve in the open or quarterfinals is having the ability to express one of the major five skills, handstand push-ups, handstand walk, toes-to-bar, chest-to-bar, muscle-ups. I think even if you have a couple of each, you can drastically jump up the leaderboard because most people who just do classes don't have these skills in their skill set toolbox. So as a coach, how do you go about getting your athletes to learn and express those major five skills? How important is it to get those skills? How do you structure it? And if they don't have them, what are the steps you like to take? And then in parentheses, this is important, given strength level is there. So that's the question. So I, I made a note up front. If you want to compete in the open quarterfinals, semifinals games, you have to be able to do all of these movements in a variety of settings with fatigue and extreme difficulty. If you don't want to compete, you don't have to do any of these movements in a variety of settings. You literally don't. So just because the movements exist doesn't mean you have to do them. But if you want to compete, then you have to pay the price of admission, which is you got to be able to do all these things. So that's important to make note of up front. And as a, if, if for coaches listening, if you have clients who just want to train, but they're not really excited about certain movements, then never feel obligated, obligated that you have to force them to do certain movements, give them things they want to do and be creative and progress as needed. Uh, but if you have clients in front of you who want to compete and develop their uh, competitive potential, then it's important to know what are the prereqs for that sport and where do they currently sit with respect to those and what do we need to improve or get better at. So that's really important up front. If you want to compete, you you need to have all these. If you don't, you don't have to. The next piece that's important is the last piece that was mentioned, which was given strength levels there. So strength is the, the, the foundation for everything. You have to be strong enough to play the game. You have to be strong enough to uh, practice or develop these skills. So if you're not strong enough, you, you, you can't, you can't proceed. You can't go past go. So that's important to reiterate that, all of these movements that were mentioned kind of minus handstand walk, because that's not super dynamic, but it is dynamic because you're moving 
um, but it's not as fast as a toaster bar or a chester bar or muscle up or even a kipping handstand push-up. But all of these are what I would classify as dynamic movements, dynamic contractions. And so if you're going to do something fast, you have to be able to do something slow first. And if you have to do something slow first, then you have to have control over it. If you have control over it, there's a good chance you probably have the strength to move through the range uh, against a load, whether it's your body weight or an external load. So you need to be strong enough to give some context around what are the base levels of strength you need before you can play with these dynamic movements. I wrote down some, some, uh, uh, what would you call these? Some uh, measures that you can have people aim for that if they check these boxes, you can now progress to doing more dynamic skill work in your training. So the first is 10 strict pronated pull-ups unbroken. 10, the second, 10 strict stationary dips unbroken. Full range of motion, of course. And 10 strict knees to elbows. And that's, of course, knees to your elbows, not your triceps. So if you can do all three of those, Unbroken 10 strict reps, good range of motion. You, you can, well, I guess, well, I don't want to say, I guess, Uh, well, the reason I'm like, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm pausing on this is because I'm instantly now thinking about my own clients and thinking about some of them who they can do maybe two thirds of those, but I do have a practice strict or not strict, but some dynamic work. So do you have to do all three? Hmm, I don't know. I know if I'm being honest, the first two are super important. I, I want those two, if those two are good, then you're probably at a good place to start practicing a lot of these things. The strict needs to elbow, that can be a little bit more gray. Uh, but if you can do them well and do 10, then it's just, it adds further strength to the argument, let's say. The last one, which I haven't mentioned that I put even more weight on is the weighted strict pull-up. So if you can do a weighted strict pull-up single with 1.5 times your body weight attached, that's, or well, okay. So let's, here, let me give you, uh, let's say you weigh, um, hold on. Let's say you weigh 150 pounds and you did a weighted pull-up with, um, 75, 75 pounds attached. That would be a go ahead for dynamic, dynamic work. Same if you weighed a hundred pounds and you did a way to pull up with 50, then you're, you're, you have the green light for dynamic work. That's a little high for some people. It's harder for them to wrap their heads around that. But if you can do 1.5 times your body weight for a single pull up, you have plenty of upper body absolute strength to get into dynamic work. So apologies for the ambivalence in the last like three minutes, but um, I'm just being honest. So 10 strict pull-ups, pronated grip, 10 strict stationary dips, uh, 10 strict knees to elbows, and then the the king of them all is weighted strict pull-up 1.5 times body weight for a single. So if you can do those things, you you probably have enough upper body strength to now practice dynamic work. And now, once we have enough strength and it's time to start practicing these movements, now we have to start thinking about, well, how do we 
How do we develop these skills? How do we develop and move them towards uh, what the sport requires of them? So this makes me think about skill progression, 101, I call it. So one way I look at the sport is I think of all movements as skills that need to be progressed from their simplest setting to the most complex, most challenging setting. So a really easy example would be a, uh, let's, let's say a handstand pushup. The simplest setting would be doing a strict handstand pushup by itself. You do three reps and then you just kind of rest until you feel good. And then you do a few more reps. That's it. You're just doing it by itself. Fatigue's not really playing a part and you're just doing the movement. The, if you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, you would have people doing strict handstand pushups wall facing at the CrossFit Games in 2022 in that event with uh, Echo Bite Calories. Like, let's say that's the, the pinnacle of it. Even though maybe even a, a more challenging scenario would be GHG sit-ups, weighted double-unders, and handstand push-ups, something like that, where the opposed the 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 other movements involved are negatively impacting the expression of that movement because the echo bike you could argue was not negatively impacting the handstand push-ups for that event that event was actually just handstand push-ups and you probably could have got rid of the bike and had a very similar leaderboard to what the leaderboard was with the bike so that's uh i that's that's a topic for another conversation but the point being on, on the far left, you have the movement by itself, no fatigue. And then on the far right, you have the movement with a lot of fatigue and a lot of difficulty uh, where it's stretching the athlete to its limits. So that's where you're trying to move all skills if your goal is to compete and, 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 and play the game at a high level. You have to be able to move everything all the way over there. So that's one way you can think about skill development from a broad perspective. Now, if we zoom in a little, what are the, what are the individual steps that are required throughout that skill progression? So, and this is where you can get very uh, creative and uh, progressive in how you want to develop these skills. So like I mentioned, step one, so there's nine, there's nine steps technically. Step one, alone, non-fatigue setting. So that would look like, let's stay with the handstand push-up example. That would be five sets, five strict handstand push-ups unbroken, rest as needed, rest as much as you want. That'd be step one. Step two, and you're, you're going to do it by itself, and you're going to build volume, non-fatigue setting. So let's say week one was three sets of five unbroken, rest as much as needed. Then week two, you do four sets. Week three, you do five sets. Week four, you do six seven, eight, maybe you get up to 10 sets of five. So that would be inside of step one and two. You're, you practice the movement, fatigue's not really an issue, and then you build volume. Once you've built volume to what we could call uh, functional volume levels, and for what that means and, and the, the language inside of that term, functional volume, I wrote an article uh, on the blog, it was a few years ago, it might have been 2020, uh, entitled functional volume. So I can make a note to um, put that in the show notes so you can read it if you haven't before, because it has to do with 
what are the volume requirements inside of the sport that you need to be building and developing in your training? Because that's always going to dictate what the training needs to be. You know, it's what's the sport? Okay, whatever the sport is, then your training is going to be impacted by that. So what are the volume requirements for said movements? That's going to impact how you look at the training and development of those movements in the volume. So after step two, now we're moving into the movement alone plus easy cyclical work. So what does that look like? Five sets, five strict handstand pushups, 10 cal row at easy pace, rest 30, 60 seconds. And then we build volume, build volume. And that's three and four because four is alone plus easy cyclical work plus volume. So we do some of that. We build more volume. We get up to 10 sets. Boom. Now we get to move on to step five. And it's worth noting after each of these steps, you could do a little test. So let's say after step one, you have a little test where, okay, let's do 20 reps for time after you've built them up to, you know, like 40 reps in a session. And then at step three, you or excuse me, not after step one, after step two, you could do a little test. And after step four, you could do a little bit test, a little bit of a test. So every two steps in the progression, you could do a test. So first test, 25 reps strict for time. The second test could be five rounds, five strict handstand pushups, 250 meter row, um, which, and I mean, that wouldn't really be a, eh, it'd be okay. I guess you could, that would be a decent test. I'm keep, I'm, I'll keep things very simple. I don't want to overanalyze here. So now we get into the next category. We have step five, which is the skill. So handstand pushups with a complementary movement, an opposing pattern. So what would that be? That could be a bending pattern. That could be a lunging pattern. That could be a squatting pattern. Uh, it could be a, a jumping pattern, especially if it's strict. If it was kipping, it'd be it'd be different. You couldn't, you wouldn't want to do any hip extension because a kipping handstand pushup has hip extension. So you're you're thinking about what are opposing patterns. Um, so you could do now five sets, five strict handstand pushups, and five uh, deadlifts at 185. Rest 60 seconds. And then now you're building, building volume of that. And then after the, uh, after building volume, then you can implement a test. The test could be Diane, could be 2159 deadlifts and strict handstand pushups. Um, and then of course, now you're moving into the next category, the more challenging category, which would be non-complementary movement patterns. So non-complementary would mean the same pattern as the one that you're developing. So if we're doing handstand pushups, you could do push press or wall balls or uh, clean and jerk. Um, you could do ski cows, um, even though that's technically cyclical, but think about how skiing would be different than rowing. Skiing would negatively impact handstand pushups, whereas rowing would complement it a bit more. So here, you can now do five sets, five strict handstand pushups, 10 wall balls, rest 30, 60 seconds, five sets, and then you build volume there. And then the test after that could be uh, for time 40, 30, 20, 10 wall balls and 5, 10, 15, 20 strict handstand pushups, something like that. 
So now you're challenging the ability for the athlete to work uh, with that particular movement with a lot of fatigue coming in from the other things that they're doing. So to recap that, we started alone with the handstand pushup. We added volume. We do a little check-in, see, see how it's going. Then we start adding in a cyclical element. We build volume. We do a little test, check in. Then we start adding a complementary movement. We build volume. We do a little test. Then we start introducing a non-complementary movement. We build volume, and then we do a test. That's a very simple and effective way to develop skills and move them towards the highest level that you need them to get to for the sport. So that could be the framework that you use for developing the skills, which for some of you listening, that might not be anything new. You already probably know that. Um, so let me, the next part I have written down is the placement of this work. So where would you implement the practice of this work? And the key is if this is something that you're trying to develop or improve, you would want to do it on the front end of the training session. You don't want to do skill development work when you're tired or when you're fatigued, because you'll see that a lot. People at a CrossFit gym, they'll do their, the, the, the workout of the day and they finish that. And then they start doing like skill practice for their muscle up or something afterwards. And principally speaking, that's not a good idea because you're, your body's tired, your muscles are tired, your brain's tired. So you're not in a great state for skill acquisition. Skill acquisition would require low fatigue, high cognitive focus and attention, um, and uh, low stress or overly stimulated environment. So you can put a lot of focus and energy on the task and not worry about other things. So if you're not in a state like that, which is usually the end of your session, then you wouldn't want to practice skills. Then you want to practice your skills on the front end, get a lot of great reps in, consolidate that skill a little bit more, and then get into the rest of your training. As you develop and you become better, you actually then would want to put a lot of those things on the back end when you are tired, because you need to further develop them and make them uh, more capable, uh, more enduring. And so you would want to front load fatigue. Um, how do you, how do you structure it if they don't have them? That was part of his, his question as well. Well, if they don't have them, then I of course would be thinking about drills that they could do on the front end. Again, I always kind of go back to strength. I, I leverage that pretty hard with thinking about a lot of these movements. If they are stronger in six months, there is a good chance that some of these skills will become a lot easier for them. I'm not, that's not to say that drills aren't good. They do have a place. You just want to be careful of not trying to leverage or think that the secret sauce for this person is they need to do X, Y, and Z drills. Cause I see that a lot with people and I don't think that's as fruitful as people expect. Um, what evidence do I have for that? Well, I don't spend a lot of time giving people a lot of drills. I just let them practice the movements 
in a scenario where they can practice it and not get to a state where compensation is going to take over and they do it often within the confines of what they can recover from, they keep getting stronger and usually through the space created to allow them to practice, they can start to dial these in and get these things. Now we got to go back to what I talked about with, uh, on the previous Q and a around what's their potential for improvement. Cause that, that idea plays as much of a role in this question as it does the first one, which is these movements are challenging and require a lot of body awareness. And so if you are older or have spent less time uh, moving your body and connecting to it, it might be really hard for you to develop these movements. So again, we got to start with, which I, I, I should have made a note of this. We got to start with what's their potential for improvement for these movements. Cause you might have somebody in front of you and you've done as many things as you can, but they just can't get a certain movement down. It's like, well, my go-to answer is always, well, are, how strong are they? And then if, if there's a red flag there, then I would say, then just keep getting stronger. If it's not a red flag and they are strong, then, okay, well, what's their potential for improvement here? I mean, are we talking about a 40 year old or are we talking about a 20 year old? Because uh, the 20 year old, it'll just be a matter of time before they possibly get it and start building and dialing in. Whereas the 40 year old, that's going to take maybe two years. And maybe it's, and at that point, maybe it's not that good. Because I can think of one of my clients, he and I've been together like five and a half years now. And it's taken us, well, I remember over COVID, during COVID, he was, it was the, he was starting to, do handstand walking in his front yard for little segments unbroken. Uh, so let's say it's been two years and now he's doing handstand walks with deadlift kettlebell swings, ski cows. Like he's, he's now moving the handstand walk into scenarios that replicate more of the sport where there's more fatigue. So it's taken, and he's, he's in his forties. So it's taken two years to move one movement from it's just, it was the same with his muscle ups too. It took probably took like two years for him to get muscle ups, and then it's taken him another two years to do muscle ups in fatigue settings, and it's taken him another you know year and a half to do muscle ups multiple times a week and recover well from it and and express it. So it's, it takes a lot of time when somebody is not you know a young whippersnapper. So we got to remember that as well. Otherwise, you're just you're going to set yourself and the client up for disappointment because you're both going to have, you're both going to assume this is easily attainable when it might not be that easy for that person. So, you know, if you know it's going to take two years, it's okay. My perspective shifts a little bit with how patient I'm going to be at this. Yeah. Okay. So don't practice when you're tired. Uh, make sure you, you do a quick check-in on what's the potential for improvement here and make double check to make sure they're strong enough. Um, and yeah, just, just don't, don't think that all the drills and skills in the world are going to make this movement better. Um, don't waste people's time. Don't, don't let them spend 30 minutes doing stuff to get this dialed. 
try, it, it kind of ties into something I spoke about on my Instagram a few days ago is around try the challenge as a coach is try to create training and protocols and progressions such that the ranges of movement or ranges of motion are getting better and the skills are getting better over time. They're developing and refining them to the best of their abilities. That's the real challenge. Can I write training that is improving these things indirectly or even directly without having to leverage all these things that people want to spend their time doing when in reality, I, I think there's better uses of time. Unless somebody is a full-time athlete and they can spend eight hours a day training, then for the most for most people who have you know an hour, maybe ninety minutes to train, you got to be very uh, strategic with how you're going to allocate time to get them better. Um, so, I hope that's uh, that's helpful. Yeah, the last thing I wrote here was. Uh, we can implement drills to help with more of the difficult skills like muscle-ups, but they can't replace having the requisite strength. Strength always comes first. So I always fall back on strength. Get them stronger and then let them practice and let them practice, let them practice. And and don't be afraid to wrap them on the conversation around what, what drills or pieces do you feel you connect the best with or that you've practiced and you thought was helpful. So maybe they like hollow holds. Maybe they like... GHG sit-ups for feeling that uh, flexion extension required to turn over the rings. Uh, maybe they like low ring transitions. So don't be afraid to ask them about what things they might have done that that connected best with them, um, and then be and then you know come up with a plan to implement that. So all right, if I was to let's wrap that let's wrap it up. So developing these skills, if you want to compete. You need to be able to do all of them. So they are a priority and you need to start thinking about what do I need to do in order to practice and do these things more uh, consistently and then move them along the skill progression ladder. So of course, strength is a major priority, the most important priority. Um, well, before the strength would be, what's their potential for improvement here? These are more challenging movements because they are uh, gymnastics. So they are based on your body. Uh, and not an external load. So you have to ask what's their potential for improvement in body awareness and body expression. Then are we strong enough? The metrics I listed are the benchmarks, 10 strict pull-ups, pronated, unbroken, 10 strict dips, unbroken, 10 strict knees to elbows. Maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, after thinking about it, not sure on that one, but it, if you if you add it in, then you got even more uh, power behind you. And then weighted strict pull-up single, uh, 1.5 times your body weight. Now you have the strength developed. Okay, let's start developing the skill. And then we move through our skill progression, uh, adding in testing after a little test after we build volume and then progress to the next uh, threshold of the skills. And then thinking about the location of the skill work, we're of course going to bias putting it up front when people are fresh and able to consolidate and learn and develop the skill more effectively. And then maybe over time, as they get better at it, we can move it towards more fatigue settings and uh, challenge them further. Um, and then just remember too, that uh, drills, drills help, but don't assume that 
your your lack of knowledge around drills is what's limiting people from getting better at those movements because it's not drills don't separate people from great uh, expression of gymnastics in the sport of crossfit um so work work hard and think hard on how can i create better training protocols to get people better at these things without um having them to spend you know an hour multiple times a week doing uh little drills i'm sure there can be an argument around that or open that up a bit more um but that's my current uh thought on the matter but it doesn't mean it won't change over time you know like they say i reserve the right to change my mind if better evidence presents itself to me so thanks again for the listener questions if you do have further ones always feel free to send myself or mike a message and we would love to hit on that for you. And thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Crafting Fitness is powered by Crafted Coaching. To learn more about individually designed fitness and to explore our range of goal-driven programs, head to www.crafted.coach.